0: Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from our Lord and Saviour, our King, Jesus Christ, your brothers and sisters. What do the words? bark, pound, and rock have in common with each other? Grammar fans, this one is for you. I'd actually, I think I'd be interested to hear all of the different things you might come up with to connect bark and pound and rock. But I'm guessing none of you would get at what I'm thinking of because I think it's just a little too complicated. Here's, Here's what it is, and if you were thinking well, they're all homonyms, then you are absolutely right. Any, anybody, though? I didn't think so. That's okay. What is a homonym? A homonym is when we have two words that are spelled exactly the same, that sound exactly the same, but can mean two completely different things. So with bark, for example, bark could be the outer ring of wood on a tree, but it could also be the sound that a dog makes. Pound can be a unit of measurement. It weighs 50 pounds, or it can be something that you do to your neighbor's door. And rock could be something that you pick up on the ground outside, or it could be something that you listen to on your earbuds. These words are hominins two different words that that are spelled the same and sound the same. And I bring that up because there is a homonym that occurs in our text this morning from Jeremiah chapter 23. And it's in there a lot. It's repeated again and again and again. And it's the word message. Now, message is not a homonym in English. But the word that we find in the original Hebrew text, the word masa, is a homonym. It can be translated message, as the translators have done every time it occurs in our text today, but it can also be the word burden. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Borman was sharing with us from Jeremiah chapter 17, and he read a passage that said, do not carry any load or burden through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. The word that's translated there as burden is the same word that's translated again and again in our text as message. It's kind of a confusing passage, at least the first time through. So we'll read it, and then we'll talk about it. Jeremiah chapter 23, beginning with verse 33. When these people, or a prophet, or a priest, ask you, what is the message from the Lord? This is God speaking to Jeremiah. Jeremiah. "'Say to them, what message? "'I will forsake you,' declares the Lord. "'If a prophet or a priest or anyone else claims "'this is a message from the Lord, "'I will punish them and their household. "'This is what each of you keeps saying "'to your friends or, and other Israelites. "'What is the Lord's answer? "'Or what has the Lord spoken? "'But you must not mention a message from the Lord again, "'because each one's word becomes their own message.' So you distort the words of the living God, the Lord Almighty, our God. This is what you keep saying to a prophet. What is the Lord's answer to you, or what has the Lord spoken? Although you claim this is a message from the Lord, this is what the Lord says. You use the words, this is a message from the Lord, even though I told you that you must not claim this is a message from the Lord. Therefore I will surely forget you and cast you out of my presence along with the city I gave to you and your ancestors. I will bring on you everlasting disgrace, everlasting shame that will not be forgotten. This is the word of our God. All right, so what's going on here in this passage? It seems to me that there are two main items that God is addressing in these words to Jeremiah, two problems that he's addressing. And the first is that the people were being disrespectful to God's prophet, Jeremiah. That's our first fill-in. And it wasn't just the general public. God mentions also the prophets and the priests, these men who were supposed to be serving in positions of authority in his church But maybe we want to put air quotes around prophet and priest because they were not fulfilling the job that God had given them to do. They kept coming to Jeremiah and asking him this question, what is the message from the Lord? But it does not seem that they were being sincere in coming to him and asking that message. And we can tell that they must not have been sincere in asking because of the response That God tells Jeremiah to give them. If they come to you and ask, What does the Lord say? Tell them, He says, I forsake you. It's a pretty harsh word of judgment from our God. I think it makes sense that there may have been some wordplay going on. As the Israelites are coming to Jeremiah and asking, What is the message from the Lord? They're playing on the other meaning of that word. What's the burden today, Jeremiah? Oh, look, it's Jeremiah, the burden giver, the man with only bad news, all doom and gloom, Jeremiah. What's the word today? And then God takes that word play and he turns it back around at the people. What message, what burden, he says? I forsake you. And once again, in the English here, it's not as easy to see, but that verb in the Hebrew that we have as forsake has a sense of casting off a burden. And there's some variant reading. Some of the old, old ancient Hebrew texts have another phrase in here where God says, you are the burden. So the whole thing would read, what burden? You're the burden. I'm casting you off. On Mount Sinai, when God was speaking to his people, Through Moses, he said to them, You have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. But now his word to his people through Jeremiah is, I don't want to carry you anymore. I'm casting you off, I am forsaking you. It's a pretty heavy message. Can you imagine being Jeremiah? Can you imagine having this job of having to go to God's people with a message that again and again and again proclaimed destruction and siege and and being forsaken by God? And when the people complain that you only have bad news, then the answer from God is to say, I've had it with you. I'm done. This is the word of the Lord. We're going through a message series right now called Shaped for Survival. How do you think you would survive if you had Jeremiah's job? God's instruction for Jeremiah was simply to continue proclaiming the words that he gave him to proclaim. As as unfavorable as they would be with the people, no matter how much they disrespected him, when they came to him, to simply continue proclaiming the words if we back up in chapter 23, just a few verses before where we started reading today, in verse 28, God tells Jeremiah, Let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. In other words, the ticket to survival was to continue faithfully proclaiming the word. Jeremiah and a few of God's other Old Testament prophets had the unfortunate job of having to publicly preach to a group of people who were not believers and to preach against them the destruction that God was bringing on them because of their sin. Now, thankfully, you and I do not have Jeremiah's job. We have not been called as a prophet of God to proclaim his message of judgment to an unbelieving nation. Or to an unbelieving people, even if we may happen to live in a nation that is filled with many people who are unbelievers. God doesn't send us to pronounce judgment on them. In fact, he asks us not to. He asks us to leave that bit to him. There's a passage from 1 Corinthians 5. We can put it up on the screen, I think. That says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Did you know that? Did you know that this passage was in there, that we're not supposed to be judging all the people outside in the world? I saw one pastor who, commenting on this, wrote, this is probably the most broken commandment in the entire Bible. Because Christians love to judge. We love to look at the actions of other people and make our decision, that's right or that's wrong, and then talk about it. It's not the Christian side of us that's doing that, though. It's our sinful nature, which likes to elevate itself by putting other people down. Look how sinful those people are. May God judge them for that. I'm so glad I don't do that same thing. But God says it's not your place to judge those unbelievers who are outside the church. Instead, he calls on us to judge those within the church. We do have that responsibility that among our brothers and sisters in Christ, if we see someone who is sinning, we have a responsibility to them to go to them and to address it, to, to lovingly try to lead them to repentance so that we can share forgiveness with them. And while we're quick to judge those outside of the church, we're often quick to back away from living up to that responsibility we have within the church. But then what is our obligation when it comes to the world of unbelievers outside of these walls? We have another passage from Colossians chapter 4. Here's what God tells us about our obligation to unbelievers. We can throw that one up here, too. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person when it comes to interacting with unbelieving people, we want to live our lives in a way where our living proclaims the gospel to them, where our lives are a demonstration to them of God's grace. We want to be wise and to think about the way that we are acting and the things that we are saying when we are in the presence of unbelieving people So that through everything we do, even through our words and our actions, they can be pointed to our Savior Jesus and not see or hear anything that would turn them away from him. Jeremiah's job was to proclaim the law again and again and again. He did have some opportunity to preach gospel too, and there are some beautiful passages of promise throughout the prophecy of Jeremiah. But a lot of what he had to say was very harsh law. You and I, on the other hand, have the job of proclaiming the gospel, of presenting God's grace in everything that we say and in everything that we do, that we can be a reflection of the love of Jesus to the people around us and to seek out opportunities with which to do that, with which to bring God's grace into the lives of those who do not have it in their life yet. And that might sound like we've got the better deal, like our job would be a lot more fun and a lot easier, perhaps, than Jeremiah's. But our job is not going to be met with 100% crowd satisfaction either there are still going to be people who are opposed to you even if you are simply trying to live your life in love to help to show them Jesus. Peter, in his letter to the Christian church, writes about those who suffer because they are doing the Lord's work, because they are living Christian lives. He says, if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil. There will be those who will mock you and slander you for living your life as Christ intends you to live it. Just as they did to Jeremiah, there will be people who will disrespect you too. And that's, I think, the next fill-in-the-blank. People will disrespect you, too. So how will you survive when that happens? You may be tempted to respond to evil with evil, to return one insult with another. It's easy to fire back when we're being fired upon. But that isn't what God has called you to do. Or you may be tempted to withdraw, to take your little light and hide it under the bushel so that no one can see it and make fun of you because of it. That isn't what we're called to do either. What did God ask of Jeremiah? Let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. In other words, the ticket to survival is to continue to faithfully proclaim God's Word. So how do we do that? What does it mean to be faithful to God's Word? Well, first of all, it means we need to know what God's Word says so that we can accurately share it with others, so that we can accurately act it out in our words and our deeds. But also so that we don't communicate to somebody something and say this is what the Lord says when he never actually said it. That seems to be the second problem that God is addressing in our text in this passage, Jeremiah chapter 23, that people were misusing the name of the Lord by proclaiming a message that was entirely their own under the guise of it being the message of the Lord. There were prophets, or at least men who claimed to be prophets, who were simply telling people what they wanted to hear. Forget about Jeremiah. Forget about all those words of doom and gloom and destruction. This is the message from the Lord. You are going to have peace, and everything will be great. So you can keep on living just the way that you are living and be comfortable. And so God had commanded them, you are not even allowed to use that phrase, the message of the Lord, anymore because you have so abused it and lied about it, and by so doing, you have ruined my message. You have disdained the word of the Lord. But they kept using it anyway, and so now he speaks to them through Jeremiah a word of woe. You and your family will be destroyed because of what you are doing. False teaching about God's word is not something that we're altogether unfamiliar with. It's not something that just happened in the Old Testament. It's not something that only Jeremiah had to watch out for, but it's something that is very much alive in and around us today. So we have to be on the lookout we need to listen to everything we hear being taught about the Word of God and go back and test it according to God's Word to see whether or not it is true. I had a sit-down with one of our scholar's dads earlier this week. He was He's a retired minister. He served for over 40 years. And he said that it was a sad thing in so many of the churches that he visited that if he were to preach the actual truth, of God's Word, he could drive half of that congregation away. Because they had gathered not to hear the truth, but to hear a message that they wanted to hear. False teaching is alive and well today, but it isn't just in churches out there. It's something we have to watch out for on our own. In our Bible study before church, Jim mentioned You go on Facebook and you see all of these posts. If you like this post, then God will do this. Well, where in the Bible did he say that? This isn't God's word. And if we post it, if we share it, even if we click on it, aren't we progressing this false message from the Lord? There are many well-intending Christian friends who sit down with another Christian brother or sister to encourage them, to speak to them, And a phrase that we hear a lot today is, God has given me a message to give to you, or I have a word of God that I would like to share with you. We need to be careful using phrases like that because that can be a dangerous way to break the second commandment and to misuse the name of the Lord our God. It is possible for God to lay something on our hearts, something that we feel convicted to share now with somebody else, as we counsel them, as we encourage them, as we lift them up. But we have to be careful about saying this is what God said when it might just be something that's a thought that occurred to us. God's word given to us in the Bible is the one source that we have, the one and only source where we can say with full authority, this is what the Lord says. We're in a season right now where a lot of our called workers are receiving calls. And so we have an opportunity to sit down at a table with them and and to talk things through. And whether it's a situation like that or a counseling situation, whenever we sit down with a brother or sister in Christ, we need to make sure that we let God's word be God's word. And our own thoughts and feelings and opinions be just that. Our thoughts, our feelings, our opinions. We want to proclaim the word of God faithfully, which means in all of its truth and purity. Luther uses that phrase a lot. We proclaim the word in its truth, which means all of its truth, not leaving anything out. And in its purity, the pure word not adding anything in. Now all of this probably sounds more like a sermon that we would have on Reformation Sunday rather than Christ the King Sunday. But I want to go back to the beginning of our chapter, Jeremiah 23, to try and put it all back into perspective where we sit underneath our king. Because this whole 23rd chapter of Jeremiah deals with these false prophets who were preaching a false message But it isn't all judgment and destruction against them. In the very beginning of that chapter, God gives a beautiful promise that after his nation is led off into exile, there will come a day when he would gather them back together and he would once again place over them faithful shepherds who would faithfully proclaim his word. And we are grateful to be in a church with faithful shepherds to faithfully proclaim God's word among us. But even better than that, even better than men to serve and to lead, God gave another promise, a king, a king who would come to save. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. When we are disrespected for living out our Christian faith, when we are dismayed by the false teaching that we hear or see in our midst, we turn ourselves And the people whom God has placed into our lives to the king to Jesus and to his mighty word he is our righteousness clothes us with his righteousness makes us members of his kingdom servants to live and to serve under him and it is his word the word of our Savior, King, that we boldly and faithfully proclaim. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Now may the God of all peace, that peace which is beyond our human understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in him until the day of everlasting life. Amen.